What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where we post all of our new content, whether it be podcasts, articles, news and notes, any updates to the website, really anything at all baseball-related, we post at Ethos Fantasy BB. So make sure you guys are checking us out over there, and be sure to be checking out SportsEthos.com as well. That's where you get all of our content right from the source. Across all four major sports, we have DFS, we have gambling, we have team uh, team coverage outside of fantasy that's just strictly covering the team that you are interested in. So make sure you guys are checking us out there. That's SportsEthos.com. But today, guys, it is the last show of 2023. It's pretty insane that the year is already done. It went by, at the same time, very quickly and very slowly, which I guess is kind of a common thing. There are certain parts of the year that really just fly by, and then there are parts that kind of drag on a little bit. But in any event, it's kind of wild to me that come Monday's show, it will be 2024. And we are going to be talking about a lot of different fun things next week. We have a couple of cool guests who will be coming on the show like I said, that's 2024 is going to be a lot different, the content than what we've seen over the last couple months. We're going to start looking forward as opposed to looking backward. And I know we've done that as well with our preview, review shows. Like We are looking forward, but we are going to start to do that in earnest now. We are going to be doing team previews for all 30 teams. I'm going to be doing ADP debate shows. We're going to be doing mock drafts. We're going to have a lot of fun content for you guys every single week, hopefully with multiple guests every single week as well. So make sure you guys are subscribing to the pod. Really appreciate that. You guys could help me out here uh, before we sign off for the new year with a subscription, with uh, downloading the pod. It really does help. If you guys find the show through our links on Twitter every single day, it's just really easy to hit that plus button at the top of your Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Google, whatever it is you use. And then you just get these episodes right in your feed every single day. You don't have to go searching for them. It helps you. It helps me. Everybody wins. I'd also really appreciate any ratings and reviews you guys could leave on the show. We've had a few come in recently. I really do appreciate that. You guys do help me grow when you do that. So that is always very much appreciated. But today, with our last show of 2023, I was kind of thinking what we should do. We've finished up all our reviews. We've done a lot of different content looking at my favorite players, guys that I'm targeting, guys that I'm avoiding. We've talked about all of the major signings of the offseason. We've done pretty much all of the stuff I wanted to do to wrap up the year. So I figured what we would do today is a little bit different, but I'm going to talk you guys through my process. And we do it to some extent here on the show every single day when I tell you about the stats that I'm looking at for a certain player, whether it be you know certain bits of advanced data, whether it's something a little more surface level. But I realized a couple days ago, more specifically yesterday when I was planning out today's show, that I've never really just gone through my entire process for evaluating a player. There are a lot of steps to it. It doesn't always look exactly the same player to player. Some guys you need to look a little bit deeper. Some guys it's very clear that they are an elite talent. Some guys it's very clear that they stink. And there's a lot of gray area in the middle. So it really does vary case to case. But I do want to walk you guys through both on the batter side and on the pitcher side, a couple of things that I do tend to look for when I am evaluating a player. And I am going to use as my example for position player today, I'm going to use Ronald Acuna Jr. Because why not use a very fun player, probably the best player in baseball currently to talk about my process. So what I always do pretty much every single time when I am evaluating a player position player, pitcher, it doesn't really matter. I go to fan graphs. Now, if I'm using, if I'm looking for a historical player, 
uh, if I'm looking at, you know, who was a better pitcher in the 1980s between Dave Steeb and but Roger Clemens or whatever it is, then I'm going to use baseball reference for that historical data. I think it's a little bit easier to parse through. You get the awards and where they finished in voting uh, on the right side of the page there. I think it's a little bit easier to look at older data. But when you're evaluating current day players, I tend to like fan graphs. They are up to date on all of the latest <clears throat> technology and information and data. Where with baseball reference, it's a little more old school. If you're just looking at that first homepage that you, if you click on a player and you click on their page, you're not seeing so much of the advanced data unless you really go looking for it. Where Fangraphs gives you a nice dashboard here, the top part of the page, if you click on any player, is the dashboard. And it gives you a really good idea of how to go about evaluating these players. That is the most important information generally in the dashboard. And I know that some of you guys are going to be thinking, why is he going through this? We all know this. A lot of you guys do know this, but I know that a lot of people also do not take the time to go through all of this data. They will read a couple of articles in the preseason. They'll watch a couple of mock drafts, and then they'll get right into it. Some people won't even do that. Some people will just get right into the draft, look at the previous year's stats, and say, okay, he stole 35 bases last year. He can do it again this year. This is for everybody, but specifically for players who do not tend to take the deeper dives. If you are somebody who is an NFBC main event winner, or if you're somebody who's been playing fantasy baseball for 25, 30 years, odds are you know about this. But this is for those of you who do not tend to do that. So caveat out of the way. Let's talk about Acuna and about how you go about looking at a player's stats over the last 3, 5, 10 years and seeing the trends that they're on. Now, 10 years is too long of a time frame. Generally, 5 years, though, I think is a good way to look back on a player. You don't always have 5 years to look back on with Acuna. It's just about 5 years. Some players, if you're talking about a rookie, you got 1 year. you got to kind of do what you can based on their minor league data. But generally, I think a 3- to 5-year window of trends is a really good way to see how a player is evolving or devolving given the player. Now, Acuna is definitely evolving, and you can tell based on the last several seasons that he has gotten better and better, and there are different ways to go about looking at this. You can look at the most surface-level stats with a player like Acuna, with any player, and they will generally tell you how a guy has performed. I know that people like to poo-poo on traditional stats because they are kind of deceiving and they don't give you everything, but generally speaking, you can look at even just this last season for Acuna. Okay, he hit 41 homers and stole 73 bases. He touched home plate 149 times, drove in 106 runs himself, and he had a 337 batting average. Those are the surface stats. Those are the five roto stats. Anybody can look at that and see how impressive Ronald Acuna Jr. is. When you start to go below the surface a little bit, that will show you even another degree of how impressive it is because it's very easy to look at Acuna's season and say he was very good this year. But if you start to look at some of the things that I like to look at, and again, this is my process, so this is what you know, this is what it's going to be. This is what I look at. I start always pretty much with strikeout and walk rates. His strikeout rate for his career had always been hovering around league average, maybe slightly higher than league average in the 25-26% range. It is a bit higher than league average. Generally, you're looking at like 22-23. Acuna for his career in each season starting in his rookie year went from 25 to 26 to 29 to 23 and 23 respectively uh, in those last couple of seasons before 2023. Now, this past season, he cut his strikeout rate down to 11.4%. 11.4% is an absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous strikeout rate to be having. 
Now, a number that a lot of people will point to and something that I look at myself as well is swinging strike rate. The amount of pitches, you know, it's, it's very self-explanatory just based on the name of it, uh, how often you're swinging and missing, essentially. Uh, and you can look at the swinging strike rate and generally kind of double it for what the strikeout rate's going to be. This works for pitchers as well. Whatever a pitcher's swinging strike rate is, you generally double it. That's what their K rate should be. And you can do that for a batter as well. If their swinging strike rate is about 10%, then they're probably going to have roughly a 20% K rate. It doesn't work perfectly, but it's a good metric to use as well. Swinging strike rate for Acuna has been always in the 10-11% range for his career. It went from 11.5, 11.5, down to 10.6, 10.8, and then in 2023, it went down to 7.7. So he is swinging and missing less and less. You look at zone contact percentage. That's something that I really like to look at. Percentage of the times a batter makes contact in the zone. Acuna's number has gone from low 80s in his career to down to 74 in 2020, up to 87.8% of the time this year. He was making contact within the zone. Even outside of the zone, he is making contact at 73% of the time. O contact percentage. He is just dominant based on whatever metric you want to look at and you can look at the trends of all of those numbers the zone contact percentage is uh, zone contact percentage is getting better um the o swing percentage got a little bit better so the times the amount of times he is swinging at pitches outside of the zone he's getting better pretty much across the board now i'm using acuña as an example because it's very easy if you want to follow along and just look at the progression and see how good Acuna is based on it. I can go through a million different metrics and show you how elite Acuna really is. Now, that's just fan graphs. That's kind of where I look at for fan graphs. I start with strikeout and walk rate. I will look at those numbers like WRC+, and I will look at those swinging strike rate and those contact percentages to see if they are actually making improvements and if they're actually you know, it varies based on player, of course. They're mostly not going to be at this level. But if a player is reaching heights that they haven't seen before, and also if they're on positive progressions or not, a guy like Acuna, who is in every metric getting better pretty much in every season, specifically in 2023, you see that he's on a positive trend in every which way. You see that he is now fully healthy after having missed time with an injury in 2021 and 2022. And there's no reason to doubt the veracity of what he did this past season. It was an absolutely ridiculous season where he put up at 170 WRC+. plus. He had a 596 slugging percentage. And there's nothing that says it's unsustainable. And in fact, with the next part of the process that I'm going to show you is the StatCast baseball savant side of it, which will actually show you that Ronald Acuna Jr. underperformed what he probably should have done. It's ridiculous, I know, but he actually probably should have been a little bit better than what his performance was this season. So Ronald Acuna's expected batting average was 357. His expected batting average, and again, these formulas that go into calculating all of these different numbers, that's above my pay grade. That's where I defer to the people who work for Major League Baseball, who work for Fangraphs, who work for different sites like PitcherList, who come up with these formulas. And I know that they know the game and that they're a lot smarter than I am mathematically and in a lot of different ways. And I don't need to know exactly what goes into the formula. These are very well accepted numbers, expected batting average, X stats in general. They are still relatively new, but they are being more and more accepted. And I am somebody who has embraced them into my process. You look at Acuna batting at 337, and you see that he actually should have had a batting average 20 points higher. 
that leads you to believe that, well, maybe Acuna won't bat 357 next year, but he's damn sure probably going to bat 325 or 330 again, considering what we just saw from him and the fact that it probably should have been a little bit better. The expected slugging from Acuna was 660. Acuna's actual slugging was 596, so he actually probably should have had even more power in there. He was just honestly in every which way possible about as elite as you could possibly have been. There's no there's no player that I've ever seen in my lifetime put up this elite of a season. And I guess you can point to Barry Bonds and, you know, I, I still don't really know how I want to, like, factor that into my whole process. Like, I know what happened. Do I want to, like, include it with a guy who did it naturally? I don't know. I guess it's not really that important, but it's just about as impressive as a season as I, I have probably ever seen and a lot of you have ever seen. And if you're looking at fantasy value, it is the most valuable fantasy season that we had ever seen. And the fact that it is legitimately sustainable is just beyond crazy. 100th percentile X-WOBA, XBA, X-slugging, average exit velocity, 100th percentile batting run value, 98th in hard hit, 97th in strikeout rate. He was just truly dominant all over the place. And you can see that from the surface level stats, of course, but also when you start to dig deeper and you look at what you know should have happened, quote-unquote, based on the expected stats, based on the advanced metrics, and Acuna is actually better. Now, Acuna is an example that I use because it's very clear to see the progression, but there are a lot of different players where it's a little bit murkier, and that's where you kind of have to go and look. I mean, it, it comes with you know just spending a lot of time looking at different players, and there's a, there's a million different examples that you can use um, let's go to a different one, though, real quickly here. I was only planning on doing Acuna, but let's talk about Matt Chapman just for a quick second. You look at the different progressions from strikeout rate, from uh, expected stats, from everything, and you you have to be able to come up with a picture, right? Even though it's not going to be as clear as an Acuna, uh, yes, he's a clear number one player. He's somebody that I should be taking at the top of my drafts, of course. It gets a little bit more confusing with a guy like Matt Chapman. So Chapman, who we talked about, we've talked about him a few times this offseason, even as recently as this week. But if you just look at the way that the advanced numbers have gone, he's still very good. He is still very good, but you also have to kind of take a little bit off of your expectations from the early portion of his career, right? So he had a season in his second year where he batted 278. The next year was 250. We saw him hit 24 and 36 homers in those seasons, 100 and 102 runs scored in each of those seasons. That was kind of the height for Matt uh, for Matt Chapman. We've seen him since then kind of fall off in terms of his home runs, in terms of his batting average, in terms of the advanced metrics that come with it. The isolated slugging, 230 and 257 in those seasons. The last three years, we've seen 193, 204, and 185. So you start to see a trend where those power numbers are generally starting to tail off. The slugging percentage, which was 508, 506, 535, the last three years has been 403, 433, and 424. The WRC Plus numbers, which were 139, 125, and 118, the last three years are 108, or excuse me, 101, 118, and 110. So you're seeing it on a more gradual decline with Matt Chapman. You're not seeing like a precipitous fall. But you are still having to look at the trends over the last several years and say, okay, Chapman is going to probably bounce back to some extent after his poor 2023 season. But the trajectory as a whole has gone down for him. So where we might have thought that he was probably a 30 home run guy, potentially 35 home runs if you know if he plays a full season given the right environment, 
now you got to think, okay, he is probably a 20 to 25 homer guy. Maybe he can hit 30 if things go correctly. He wasn't particularly lucky last season. But those expectations have to kind of regress, and that comes from you can just basically look at the projections that go out there if you don't want to do the legwork yourself. But if you look at it over the last couple of seasons, if you incorporate this as a part of your process to actually go for every player and look back over the course of several seasons, it'll give you a better idea of why the declines happen for certain players. It'll give you an idea of why certain players got hot. But I think overall, it makes you a better fantasy player to go and do the legwork yourself as opposed to saying, well, Steamer's saying 23 home runs this season. Why are they saying that? I, I think going and digging in deeper below the surface does benefit you um, to some extent. And I mean, some people don't care to that extent, right? Some people will just think, I want to I want to know what the stats are. I don't really care how we get there. I want to know what I'm going to get at a Chapman. I think that it makes you a better, more informed fantasy player to go through the process of evaluating players yourself. And I think that the really important things to take away from the hitter side of this are look at strikeout minus walk rates. A lot of the time, they are going to be telling you a huge part of the story. Now, with Chapman, they don't tell you like a huge part of the story. For him, it is more so the slugging percentage that, that, really, that really drives it in. But if you just look even at the strikeout and walk rates, they are they're confusing, right? So they're a starting point. But they're not everything. And with a guy like Chapman, I mean, look at a guy like Acuna, right? With Acuna, they tell you a lot. The way that the strikeout rate has been cut in half like that, that's a huge indicator that he has just improved drastically as a hitter. With Chapman, they're about the same. So for a guy like that, you have to kind of go to the next data point. For me, that would be the triple slash line, the batting average, the on-base percentage, and the slugging percentage. You look at the BABIP. You look at how often they're getting on base, uh, you know, batting average on balls in play, how often the balls they put between the lines are actually base hits. If that number is drastically high, if it's well above 300, 340, 350, 360, for most players, they are going to kind of come down from that. They're probably not going to be able to maintain that. You got to look at career marks because they do vary based on a player. But for the most part, a guy is not going to be able to sustain a very high BABIP they're probably not going to be able to sustain a very low BABIP either. So for either of those two data points, if you see it very high or very low, you can expect some regression one way or the other. It's the same thing with, well, we'll get to this for pitchers more so, but left on base percentage. If you see it very, very high, if you see it at 92%, it's going to come down. If you see it at 62%, it's going to go up. These numbers, once you spend more time looking at a Fangraphs page, at a Baseball Savant page, at pitcher list, data pages, baseball reference, whatever, these numbers become more familiar to you, and it becomes clearer to see without having to do even as much of the work, the trajectory that a player is on. And with a guy like Chapman, you have to recognize that it has definitely come off, uh, the rose has come off the bloom. The bloom has come off the rose over the last several seasons, and it's not been a drastic change, anything really in particular, but it has slowly declined for him. I do recommend doing this kind of thing yourself, going and just evaluating players, going deep into the Fangraphs pages, going deep on Baseball Savant. I really do think it will benefit all you guys in your process. Now, I do want to talk about pitchers as well. I want to talk about what I evaluate specifically when it comes to pitchers because it does vary if you're talking pitchers, if you're talking hitters. The, the basic points are generally the same. But there are certain metrics that I think are more telling than others. So let's use Kevin Gosman as an example. Kevin Gosman is one of my favorite pitchers. He pitches for my favorite teams, and he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. So let's talk about what he has done over the last several years to transform himself. First of all, 
If you look at the early career numbers in Baltimore, he looked like he was going to be probably a decent pitcher. Like he didn't look like he was going to be terrible or anything, but you never would have thought that he'd be a guy who would end up on Cy Young ballots and finishing very high up in that voting, being a 200 strikeout guy. I think we were probably thinking that he was going to be like a number three or a number four pitcher. And if you look at the strikeout minus walk rates in the Baltimore years, you're looking at 17%, 10%, 15 16 and 13%. So pretty solid, you know, the 16 17%. Those are really great numbers. That first initial 17% was as a rookie 47 innings. So read into it what you will. But, you know, the rest of the numbers are kind of just, they're, they're fine. They're okay. Now, over the course of his career, that strikeout minus walk rate, especially after he left Baltimore, it was kind of just whatever. Again, he left in the next two seasons, it was 12.6% and 18.2%. This leads me to the next point, and this is an organizational thing. Where is the pitcher playing? Where is he? Is he in an organization that is very good with pitching development? Or is he in Los Angeles or Kansas City or one of those cities that doesn't care really about their pitching development or their development at all. Well, he went to San Francisco in 2020, which is one of the best pitching development organizations in baseball. I've talked about this for the last two years on the show. San Francisco has the ability, I don't know what it is in their staff, if it's a certain pitch and coach or a certain philosophy, whatever it is, they are able to tinker with certain things and turn a guy who was previously an okay pitcher into a great pitcher. And that's what they did with Kevin Gosman, and he's been able to carry that over now for four seasons. The 2020 year with Kevin Gosman, we saw that strikeout rate shoot up 7% above it what it had previously been, up to 32.2%. Now, he'd always been a pretty solid control guy, but he was able to maintain that, ma- or not even maintain, but increase that massive strikeout number while keeping great control and only having a 6.5% walk rate. So you got a 25.7% strikeout minus walk rate from him in 2020. You got a 362 ERA, and that was the highest number of all of his ERA indicators. And I'm going to talk about those. If you guys have listened to even one of my podcasts, you've heard me talk about this, you likely know what they are. But the ERA indicators, the estimators, another way to put them are XERA, which is expected ERA using StatCast data, FIP and XFIP, which are fielding independent pitching and expected fielding independent pitching. They are metrics that rely a lot on strikeout, walk rates, and home run to fly ball ratios. And then you have Sierra, which is skills interactive earned run average, which I'm honestly not 100% sure about everything that goes into Sierra. Again, I'm not a big math guy. I was always an English major journalism kind of guy. So I'm not 100% sure about what goes into these formulas, but I know that Sierra has become the generally accepted uh, best one to use to evaluate pitchers. So going through all of those numbers in conjunction with the strikeout minus walk rate, let's look back a couple of years first and see what Gosman had been doing, even just in terms of XFIT. You're looking at 3.93, 3. 3.8, 3.7, 4.3, 4.1, 4.2. Just fine, right? Okay. And then he gets to San Francisco, and we see that number go down to 3.06. You see that coinciding with the strikeout rate going up, the walk rate staying at the elite level, and you're also looking at, <clears throat> excuse me, very, very average BABIP and left on base percentages. If you see a crazy year from a pitcher, where he's got a 2.3 ERA, and you're just like, what the hell happened? How did he do that? Look immediately to the BABIP and left-on-base percentages, because a lot of the time, if it's one random outlier year, it'll be because the defense was really good behind him or really bad behind him, depending on what the outlier is. It might be because he was stranding a lot of base runners or because he was, conversely, allowing a lot of base runners to come in and score. Those could be massive indicators of a random season that doesn't actually indicate true skill. But looking at Gosman in 2020... 
He had a 296 BABIP, which is right pretty much in line with league average. You're looking generally about 300, depending on the pitcher. Gosman, for his career, is a 315 BABIP guy. That season, he had a 73% left on base percentage. And left on base percentage, generally 70 to 75%. It will vary again depending on the pitcher. If it's an amazing, exceptional pitcher, they're usually able to strand more base runners because, well, pretty self explanatory. They're better pitchers. They're going to get more outs. They're going to be able to strand those guys that they allow to reach. But if you look at Gosman's 2020 season, it's a huge turning point in his development. He starts striking out a lot more batters. He is just pretty much doing what he has always done, except now he has a lot more strikeouts. And where does that come from? Well, it's hard to not credit San Francisco. And it's something that I always will fall back to. Where is he pitching? Where is the organization? Is it an organization that knows what they're doing? Or is it an organization that kind of sucks? Well, going to San Francisco did wonders for Gosman's career. And he's been able to carry that over the last several seasons as well. And if you look at the pitch mixes, there wasn't really like a massive drastic change in San Francisco. Even if you look at the previous year to, you know, 2019 to 2020, the fastball percentage went down about 6%. He started throwing a slider about 4% more and slightly uh, more change-ups, which now he doesn't even throw at all. So it's, it's hard to say it was a pitch mix thing. It's more just I think that the organization found something small, whether it's public knowledge or not, I don't think it is, that they were able to tinker with that was able to make Gosman who he is or at least get him on the path to becoming who he is. You can't give the organization all the credit. Gosman has been elite even in the two years in Toronto, but you have to say that San Francisco did something there, and that's why there will be guys like Alex Cobb and Alex Wood and you know Ross Stripling and Manaya go to San Francisco this year, and I think the process was really good. And overall... Stripling had a tough year. Manaya got really, really honestly under, uh, unlucky, I think, and could have been a lot better. But these organizations, generally, you're not going to miss as often when you take a pitcher from these organizations as you are from other ones, or at least a pitcher who had a, a long duration in these, you know, in Tampa, Los Angeles, if it's Cleveland, if it's San Francisco, these teams know how to develop pitching. So a stop in San Francisco was able to completely turn around the career of Kevin Gosman. And you see those numbers have been able to sustain for the last several seasons. 32% strikeout rate went to 29.3, 28.3, and 31.1. You're staying right in that range. The walk rate has gone from 6.5 down to exactly 6.5 again, then down to 3.9, and then up to 7.2 this year. The 3.9, a little bit outlier-y. It's not really that realistic for a guy like Gosman. You can still expect 6% or so, but 3.9 is... A little bit too low. 7.2% this year is really not that concerning. And you look at the strikeout minus walk rates, 25.7, 22.8, 24.4, and 23.9. Gosman has been able to do this over these last two seasons while allowing incredibly high BABIPs. Something that's going to naturally kind of happen in Toronto with the unnatural grass that they have there, the artificial turf. It's going to lead to more odd bounces. Generally, the BABIP is a little bit higher in Toronto. And also, you know... Outside of Matt Chapman, there's some suspect infield defense in Toronto. So the BABIP has been a little bit high, 363 and 321 these last two years, and yet still a 335 and a 316 ERA. You got to think if Gosman's able to get back to just even regular BABIP, and this is why I go crazy thinking about, like, could he just have a regular 300 BABIP season? He could. You see pitchers in Toronto do it every year then you're probably going to see Gosman have a sub-3 ERA. And, you know, I don't want to extrapolate that too much. Maybe it's pushing it a little bit. But Gosman is honestly better than I think what we are seeing just based on the stat pages. I think that he is at worst just as good as what he is, what the results are, and the results are 3.15 ERA, and all the indicators pointing to that as well. 322 on the XFIP, 297 on the FIP, 387 
on the XERA. And his Sierra, which is glitching right now on the Fangraphs page, was 334. So you're, you're talking about a guy who all the supporting metrics are there. All the ERA indicators are right in line with that great season. The strikeout minus walk rates are very strong and you know continuing to get better. That 31% K rate this year jumped up 3% from last year. Could he jump it up again a little bit? He, he honestly could. Like, I don't expect it, but it's within his range of outcomes. He is that good. Gosman is just dominant, and you can see it. You can truly see it just going through these pages. Now, I think Fangraphs is the one that I will generally fall back to all the time. Whether it comes to pitchers or hitters or whatever, that's the one. If I need a quick look at a player, it'll be Fangraphs. But I think Pitcher List is something that also needs to be pointed out here because they have incredible player pages. Obviously, they are called Pitcher List for a reason. Nick and the staff there, Nick Pollock and the staff, focus I mean, they focus on everything, but pitchers are obviously a huge part of what they do. And their pages can also be very helpful, very, very user-friendly to figuring out different stats about your favorite pitchers. They show percentile rankings, which can also be very helpful. They show the strikeout rate, and they'll show you where that ranks among major league pitchers. Are they you know, 90th percentile or are they 10th percentile? Pitcherless pages will show you that as well, which also add a lot to it. But guys, I think I'm going to let you go there. It's Friday night. It's the last Friday of 2023. No big plans, but I think we're going to just settle in, have some dinner, look at some projections here, and get ready for the new year next year. Next week, I should say, well, both are going to be very fun. So I hope you guys are along for the ride. Again, I'd really appreciate you guys ending off the year uh, with a subscription to the show. Obviously, it doesn't cost anything. Just subscribe to the podcast, hit the plus button or whatever it is on your feed, on your app, website, whatever it is you use to listen. I know some people are old school. They listen on the desktop at work. Some people listening on their phone, some people listening in different ways, iPods, maybe, who knows, whatever it is you're using, I'd really appreciate you guys helping us out with a subscription. Obviously, like I said, no charge to you. It just really helps us out in the algorithm. Of course, reach out if you got any questions about any of this over on Twitter at JoeOrico99, also at EthosFantasyBB, and of course, SportsEthos.com. Guys, that will do it. But until next week and next year, take care. Have a happy and safe, healthy new year. Uh, But on Monday, we'll be back. Until then, take care, everybody. See you.